Good morning or evening for wherever you are, and welcome or welcome back to the Bylines podcast series. Thank you so much for joining us. This is our fourth episode of the series. Last episode, I had a great talk with Maddie about World Day of Forests and interviewed some amazing guests. This month, again, we've got some great people to talk about, but first, let's introduce the team. We've got some new additions to the team and some departures this month. Thank you to Anna, our editor Jules and Alex, and a special welcome to the new members of the team, Emma, Jess, and would you introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Ash. Uh, I'm a journalism student and I'm, and I'm hoping to help out with the podcast whenever, whenever in the future. Thank you. And I'm Henry Fox. I have been here for quite a while. But uh, yeah, so one of our team spoke with Cameron from the Bahu Trust about Ramadan and the intersection of Islam and community and the environment. So would, would you like to talk a bit more about that, Ash? Uh, yeah, sure. So the month of Ramadan happens pretty much every year. And I don't know why I said pretty much it happens every year without question. And it happens during the first sort of crescent moon of the month and then the last crescent moon. So the celebration of Ramadan is to basically commemorate the, the sort of first revelation of the first chapter of the Quran to Prophet Muhammad when he was meditating in a cave, basically. And he was visited by Angel Jibreel, which in English is, is Angel Gabriel. Um, and he is sort of sort of terrified Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, because he's an angel and gave him the first sort of revelation. Uh, during this month, Muslims observe by fasting, which is where they can't eat or drink anything from sunrise to after sunset, to just before sunset to sunset. Along with fasting, Muslims are encouraged to do good deeds throughout the, throughout the month as the spiritual rewards known as thawab is multiplied during this month. And it basically ends with a celebration called Eid al-Fatr, which uh, basically you go around as a kid. What I remember is you get a lot of money from older relatives, basically. That's the best part about it. You get a lot of money, you get a lot of sweets, and there's a lot of celebration, a lot of happy and a lot of food. So yeah, that's basically what, what I remember of, of Ramadan. Yeah, so, sounds like a lot of fun, to be honest. Uh, my family <laughs> did not celebrate uh, Ramadan. Obviously, my family are not very are, are not religious at all. Uh, <laughs> I, I am glad seeing like your your experience and the experience of like other people. Uh, so with that, should we get to the uh, interview? So could you begin then by talking a little bit about um, your trust and what you do um, as your job as the climate change? And- the Bahu Trust is a, ultimately it's a mosque based in Birmingham, um, established in 1983 by our founders and spiritual guides um, and the two brothers, Sheikh Sultan Niazul Hassan and Sheikh Sultan Fiazul Hassan. Uh, they established this mosque in 1983. Um, now, almost what 40 years it's been now since then. Uh, they have 22 mosques around the country in North Midlands and down south. But it's gone beyond just being a mosque. Um, you know, the, um, it's a huge community centre. So the mosque doesn't just focus on religious activities. That is one part of it. But there's lots of outreach work and issues 
um, around community welfare. And so over time, over those 40 years, the mosque has evolved to be more of a community center. From a, from a religious perspective, the mosque provides lots of religious services. And I suppose from a community perspective, you know, we have various other departments within, within the, the trust. Uh, so we have our own humanitarian charity with kind of field offices in different continents, different worlds. I think around 30, uh, 30 different uh, field bases doing humanitarian work. So we raise money and deliver them. We have our own youth center, a youth work. We do work with young people. That's from the religious side. And then we have um, the community work we do. We fall, And the outreach work is, you know, we have our community surgery that we have where we give people advice, um, debt advice, any issues, mental health. Um, we have um, food banks. Uh, we have health and well-being sessions, things we run. And we also focus on issues around social justice. So not just providing services, but also standing up for the rights of people because there's so many barriers uh, that people face. And because we're a prominent mosque in Birmingham and in other places, we use that platform to kind of uh, stand up for others. And that's a relatively new role that we've started in the last few years, and we're still developing on that. Um, how many people are involved, who come to the mosque, involved in your climate um, activism? Okay, um, as a whole, in terms of how, how much traffic we have coming through uh, the Bahu Trust, um, say Friday prayers, we have uh, 2,000 people come through every Friday prayers. Um, on a regular basis, we pray five times a day. We have between two, 250, 300 people who come in five times a day to pray. So we have that traffic coming in. Um, I'd say we have around 100 people a day coming to visit our community surgery for various different services we provide. And then we have um, a madrasa, like a supplementary school, where we um, 950 children are enrolled that so you know we, we we have lots of people um coming in and out on a regular basis it's always busy the environment work um it's hard <laughs> it's hard the environment but but we have a small team of about six people who work with me um mainly volunteers and then the imams have all been trained so we we've developed bespoke training for faith leaders and for imams on climate change so that's really where because they talk to when they talk to the congregation it's not lip service they get it and they speak passionately and when they speak passionately the community gets it there's more buy-in but we've been doing activities around climate change and environment for about five six years now so it's a bit easier talking about these things than it was then we we also the bahu trust is the only mosque in the whole world that has un accredited status so we have observer status with the united nations environment program and with the UNFCCC, who runs COP26. And you may be asking, well, what's a mosque doing with the accredited status with two UN bodies? Well, one, because we're an international, uh, we have an international presence. And number two, um, because we felt that we had a role to play on a global platform advocating 
for grassroots level people you know who are impacted and affected so we 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 use that platform to take stories um and how local people are affected by the impacts of climate change so yeah we were very involved in cop26 so could you tell me a bit about um the teachings and practices of um classical sufi islam um and what that means to you and um your mosque and the people who visit it okay um sufism is a very easy to describe um a lot of it is about your you know the main idea of sufism is that you have you have personal relationship with god in our lives you know it's very mystical uh, it's and spiritual and you know in order to be with god and to be close to him you have to destroy your idea of yourself and your ego you know you're very much in service to other people you know and to god and quite often people describe sufism as a sect it's not a sect it's not a different sect of islam within different sects you have sufism and spirituality so it's more of a aspect or a dimension of islam and so it, we're dedicated to worship and to god and we disregard the the finery of the world and we abstain in a sense from pleasure wealth uh, and not like monks do in a sense but we're not we're not motivated by it. we don't get overly excited by it because our ex- excitement comes through service to others through companionship through working with others being you know being there that's how we become close to god is having this inner relationship we don't just focus on books and scriptures but also teachers the spiritual guides are a a big part of that so in a nutshell that's what sufism is so it's the month of ramadan right now um how do you incorporate your sufism into fasting and getting closer to god is this a time where you try and do it more or in a different way for your listeners i'll just explain a little bit about what ramadan is um so for us ramadan is the holiest month uh in islam and the exact dates of ramadan they change every year and this is because uh, in islam we use the lunar calendar we follow the the cycle of the moon not that of the sun so that cycle goes back every year by 10 days and during this month we don't eat we don't drink during the hours of daylight we fast between dawn and sunset and what it allows us to do is allows fasting it allows us as muslims to devote ourselves to our faith so we feel very spiritual we feel like we're making sacrifice because at the moment we're fasting what 16 hours a day no water no food and the days are reducing 3 4 years ago we were doing 18 19 hours a day when we have we had longer um daylight hours it does get hard but also for us as muslims it's easier because we have a mindset we have a mentality we've been doing it all our lives so we're we're prepared um but ultimately because we're making that sacrifice for god it makes us feel more closer to god you know um uh, it teaches us self discipline it reminds us about the suffering of the poor who don't have anything and it may sound harsh you know it's it's only uh the able and uh, those who uh, have good health so you know if you're children or pregnant women or elderly or those if you're traveling or you're not well you don't have to fast you know we have two meals a day we have one meal which is known uh, as the uh, suhoor 
uh, we do that at dawn just before the sun rises we'll have a good nutritious meal full of carbs and slow burning energy that keeps us going we'll fill our belly tanks with water to make sure we're kept rehydrated and then uh, we open our fast when the sun goes down at sunset and then you know we we, we open it it's traditionally with dates because dates are very nutritious too and then we spend the night in prayers so there's lots going on and then we have our everyday jobs doing that time and and household chores but it really teaches us so much about ourselves um it teaches us that we can live on so little we don't need the trappings of the world we don't need luxury items we we can go the whole day without eating so much um what does it mean to you um personally rather than like to everyone in the mosque if you had to like define it for yourself what does it feel what have you learned about yourself for the years you've done it that's an interesting question i think fasting is a like a physical act like prayers or giving zakah or going for hajj uh, those are very physical actions that you have to do uh, fasting is a very personal thing that you have to do that's between you and god and no one sees what you're going through it's just between you and so you're making that sacrifice and so you know that you you have the ability to let go of everything this i i hope this makes sense but you know when you're when you're at your most vulnerable and you're you're most weak that's when you're at your most sincere too and when you're praying to god you are at your most vulnerable you're most in your most sincere and it also kind of when when you break your fast you're suddenly reminded of what it feels like when you now have something because we as people of faith i probably speak for most people we remember god more when we're going through hard times and so ramadan does feel i'm closer to god it, you know i feel i'm closer to family because we we're doing things together as well like we'll be with our family like my son he's 8 and he doesn't have to he doesn't have to fast until he's 11 12 you know it's the age of adolescence so we encourage him to do little little fast half day fast or full day fast so he gets used to it and but then we say look you also need to pray five times a day but it's nice now he's my elder son he now joins me and my wife in praying so it, that that family bond becomes stronger too and it just makes us realize that even eating is a form of worship because the food you put into your body is of you know it's a blessing our body doesn't belong to us it's the property of god so everything we put in needs to be pure and needs to be healthy so it's like a whole holistic approach to to what fasting means to me in the month of ramadan is there anything that's particularly challenging about it um i was going to ask is it harder when it's in july or august because the days are so so long or is it better do you find it better when it's longer me personally i find it better when it's longer because it really challenges you and it gets the best out of you um because we follow a lunar calendar i remember when i was younger in my teen days um our fasting was in the winter um and i think in the next 10 or 15 20 years maybe 15 20 years we'll be back in that cycle 
uh, when our fasting will be from, say, eight o'clock in the morning to four o'clock in the afternoon. Um, I would prefer the longer ones than the shorter ones, just because the sense of sacrifice is greater. You don't feel the fast. You don't feel the uh, the effort. But I mean, it's it's an obligatory act either way. We have to do it. You know, we. Um, I find people can be quite ratty. Oh, the smokers who are fasting. Oh, wow. You should, uh, when you're around them. But again, this is something you learn about um, people who smoke. They will religiously fast during the day, you know, 16, 70, without touching a cigarette. But when it's not Ramadan, they're saying, oh, I find it hard to give up smoking. Yet they've done it a whole month. Um, so it's, in, it's in the mind. But these are the kind of physical challenges you know, we, we we face in in Ramadan the prayers and uh, and then you you get invited to other people's homes quite often and they put on a feast and you have to eat loads of food. Sometimes you end up overeating and then when you go to prayers later, you've got a belly that's really full and you're like, oh, we eating too much. Fabulous. Um, so for those who haven't started doing Ramadan for whatever reason, maybe they're like you said, just coming into adolescence or they're. Um, they've stopped for a few years because they were pregnant or whatever. How would you advise um, starting out? And for those who aren't um, Muslim, would you advise fasting anyway, just for personal reasons um, or to set yourself a challenge? Yeah. Okay. I'll break this advice down into a number of different sections. Okay. <laughs> so the, the first set of advice is for Muslims. Yeah. For children, it's not a problem because um, because they see their families fasting throughout, you know, their lives. So for them, it's something they're expecting. So mentally, they're prepared. And I would say to parents, um, in the years before Ramadan is obligatory on them, you know, don't impose it on them. Let them do small fasts if they can't handle it. Let them break it. Some parents can be strict. Um, it's less so now than it used to be. Um, uh, some schools are a little bit more strict they, they see it as a health and safety matter So if it's a PE day they say you can't fast um, Unless it's obligatory on you So use those years beforehand um, For those who are say pregnant or unwell um, They're able to make up for those fasts later outside of Ramadan uh, What we tend to find is people in our community uh, Especially those who are unwell or the elderly because everybody in the community is fasting, they want to be part of that. Um, but they shouldn't, you know, they should know that they're not obliged to, you know, those are the allowances in the religion. That your religion is easy. Uh, for non-Muslims, um, I would definitely say um, learn the rules of fasting and um, take one day out to fast. Um, you know, wake up in the morning uh, go through the full experience because some I know some friends of mine who are non-Muslims who have fasted. They've decided not to wake up in the morning uh, and just go the whole day without eating. But the waking up is also part of the experience because it's not just the eating, but that quiet moment you have to yourself that we don't tend to have uh, during the day. That when you eat, um, you after that you have about half an hour to yourself before you go back to bed in prayer or contemplation you know experience that too um eat all the right types of food you know to, like i mentioned earlier to stock up on all your low burning energy and um 
prepare yourself mentally don't suddenly decide right tomorrow i'm gonna fast give it a few days yeah. you know keep little small like one hour two hour fast you know the kind of things that you would nibble on um uh and have a muslim friend on standby that you can call and just talk to um that uh you know every time you're feeling something you know that's important and if you're and throughout the day uh, stick to it you know you you i think what non-muslims will be going through would be different to what muslims are going through because we've been doing it for years um but for non-muslim it'll be the first time so it will be a shock to the system they will feel mentally drained uh over the over their muslim friend or colleague they will feel it but stick it out because um you know don't give in to temptation ultimately if you eat or drink nobody will know apart from yourself but you've let yourself down unless of course it's causing you health issues in which case yeah you know do uh, then break your fast um and try to if you do fast break your fast with a muslim family or in the mosque so you're breaking it with everybody um because then you have that sense of celebration the community spirit don't do it on your own it's not um yeah. it it doesn't give you that full satisfaction Sorry. no definitely especially if you've waited all the whole day it's love more nice to do it with people who yes. have been through the experience yeah. and and everything about that and then okay uh what does the trust do in relation to the environment specifically then uh for the month of ramadan yeah okay so Ramadan, um, the whole point of Ramadan is that we reduce our consumption um, and we refrain from the kind of luxuries of this world. I mean, everything is a luxury for us these days. And Ramadan, in a sense, has fallen into, into that same trap as Christmas, where it's now more a commercial month um, than what Christmas originally uh, represents so what you find is in um uh in the run-up to ramadan the supermarkets are now selling here they're doing bargain deals um uh and we end up even though we we fast and refrain iftars when we break our fast end up being luxury meals um when the whole point of fasting has gone out the window because we're eating just as much as we would have throughout the day, um, and it's not done deliberately. It's not people. It's just become a culture, um, and equally, in worship, we end up using more water when it comes to doing ablution. Uh, we use our cars more to go to the mosque to do shopping, so we're polluting the airs. Um, we use energy more, so we're consuming overall, and when we consume it's damaging the natural environment because everything comes from the natural world so we, we we've developed a um an eco conscious guide to ramadan and we deliberately didn't call it an eco friendly guide because what we don't want to do is tell people what to do yeah eco conscious guide is we're trying to tap into people's mindsets to reflect on if you're coming to the mosque to pray and you're coming in your car and then you're doing ablution. Um, number one, I mean, we have to do ablution, but be wary of how much water you waste. Um, 
But why are we doing ablution? Because we're preparing our bodies to be clean when we present ourselves for prayer in the court of God. But if you've just bought your car in, which is a polluting car, you've just polluted people's lungs. So how does that relate to you then washing? You're, 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 you're doing an act of worship by damaging other people's lungs. So the way we worded it is we worded it in a way we're getting people to think differently and to empower people to make the right choices. Because if they're empowered to do it, because they've decided to do it rather than being told to do it, it has a longer lasting impact. Yeah. So we have faith inspired teachings around um, food, waste management, transport, water, and even prayer, praying for the environment, praying for climate action, for climate injustices that are taking place. So we really, because with everything that's going on, Ramadan is the ultimate tool to really learning about consuming less, because ultimately we just need to consume less in order to safeguard the natural resources. Yeah, definitely. That completely makes sense that it seems silly that people don't realise um, already, but um, it's great that you're providing guides and everything for people to follow um, that aren't like too strict or anything, because I think that definitely makes it more attractive. Um, yeah, so it sounds great what you're doing. Um, thank you so, so much um, for agreeing to chat to me. Your answers were fantastic. And it was so interesting to hear everything about what you were saying uh, about the trust and about how it's a community centre and then all about fasting. It was it was so interesting. So thanks so much. Thank you. No, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. We want to thank you all for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast and learned something new. Special mention to basically everybody on the team and of course to Cameron for being a really great interviewee. You'll hear from us very soon and take care and Ramadan Mubarak everybody. <laughs>